Amen. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 5. And as we get to 1 Kings chapter 5, it's, it's a very short chapter, and it's about Solomon building or preparing to build the temple. So as you're opening your Bibles, I read this chapter, and what really struck me about this chapter was the king's assessment, as we're going to meet Hiram the, Hiram, the king of Tiger, his assessment of King Solomon. And as I read this, this really stood in my mind, and I believe that the Spirit of God has led me to talk about our reputation as we see the assessment that he had of David, how he, I mean of Solomon, how he looked at him and how he thought of him, and so that began, that began to stir in my heart as to what about us? How do people look at us? What do people say about you? What do people think about you? Do they know who you are? Yesterday, as Pastor Rolf from Calvary Chapel Golden Springs, he was speaking to us as pastors, and he reminded us of people that know who we are. People that know who you are. And he reminded us of the three that know exactly who we are. And he reminded us of the first. I think we all know that. It's God knows who we are, right? He knows exactly who you are. Who do you think is the second? We, right? We know who we are. We know how we behave behind closed doors. We know the things that we do. We, you know, we, we know exactly the way we are as people. Who do you think is the third? Satan, right? Satan knows who you are. So there's three that really know who you are. Think about that. I don't know if you ever thought about that, right? It, as we just are talking today about this very subject, do people know who you are? When they meet you, do they have a good assessment of you? What do people begin to say about you? And so this is why as I read this, I know that the Lord was speaking and he, he wants us to talk about our reputation. As it says there in Proverbs 22 verse 1, it says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Think about that. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. So even the Bible tells us how important it is to have a good name, a good reputation. And with that, let's go ahead and read chapter 5, and then we'll go ahead and uh, look at the individual verses and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us through the word of our Lord. Verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 5 says this, Now Hiram, king of Tiger, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father. For Hiram had always loved David. And then Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side, until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet? But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, there is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. 
as the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house of my name. Now therefore command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For you know there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over this great people. Then Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the message which you sent me. I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and cypress logs. My servant shall bring them down. From Lebanon to the sea, I will float them in rafts by the sea to the place you indicate to me and will have them broken apart there. Then you can take them away and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. Then Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food and for his, for his household and <coughs> 20 cores of pressed oil. Then Solomon, thus Solomon gave to Hiram year by year. So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty together. Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens and 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains, besides 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and honed stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and Gibelites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. You know, as we look at this, right, as we begin to examine just the preparation to, to build the temple, you know, what I see here is, is Solomon immediately sets out to do exactly what God had called him to do. And you know, as I think about this also, I think to myself, are we doing what God has prepared for us to do? Think about that. Can you honestly say that, you know what, I am where God wants me to be. I have done what God wants me to do. Thus far, I know there's more plans for me, but am I walking and doing the things that he has prepared for me? See, only you can answer that question. I can't answer it for you. This is between you and the Lord. But we know for Solomon, he was about to walk in the work that God prepared for him. And what's amazing about all this is that God had chosen King Solomon. He chose him to build the temple of God. See, the father of King Solomon was King David. And it was King David's idea, though. It was, it was his desire to build a dwelling place for God. As it says there in Psalm 132, beginning in verse 4, 
It says, I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And so we see here, right? It was David's desire to build a a dwelling place for God. But God told him, you know what? You're not the man. I can't allow you to build it. Why? Because you are a man of war. But I will do this. I will be gracious to you. And I will allow your son to build this house. And we see this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12, where it says, where God speaks to him. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And you know, when God chooses somebody, he knows exactly what he's gonna do. Because when he chose Solomon, think of it this way, he chose Solomon to build the temple But did you also know this? It was God that designed that temple. I don't know if you know this. It was God that designed everything about the temple. He gave the plans to David, and then David passed them on to Solomon. Let me prove this to you in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 11. It says, and David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat. And the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. Think of that. It was the Spirit of God. It was God himself that gave him the plans to build the temple, the design, everything about it. Of the courts of the house of the Lord, of all the chambers all around, of the treasuries of the house of God, and of the treasuries for the dedicated things. So not only did God pick the man to build it, but he also designed his house as to how they were to build it. And so we see King Solomon doing exactly what he needed to do to build God's temple, and this is the preparation for it, and this is where we're at today. And so let's go ahead and read the first verse. It says, Now Hiram, king of Tiger, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. Let's stop here. Hiram, we're introduced to this character, right? He was a king of Tiger, and as king, and as the kingdom that he had, there were great resources in Lebanon. This is where it's at. North of Israel is Lebanon, and this is a king of Tiger. This is a king there in Lebanon, and Lebanon has always been known for its trees, and so they had amazing trees. They had both cedars and cypress, and so They needed the trees for the temple. And the insight that we're given here is that Hiram, he loved Solomon's father, uh, father, which was King David. It says there that Hiram had always loved David. David and the king of Tiger were actually close allies. They, they, you know what, they they fellowshiped together. They, They loved one another as friends and as brothers. And as we read, Tiger, I mean, uh, Hiram was actually also a believer. He also worshiped the true God. And so him and David established this friendship. They established this fellowship. And this same king had actually provided cedars for for the palace of David. So prior to Solomon coming to him, Hiram and David had 
already close ties. When David needed lumber for the palace, it was Hiram that provided that. And in 2 Samuel 5.11, it shares this. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, Tiger sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. So you can see here that this is a man that had previously given to David as he loved David. And now as David was gone, Solomon needed lumber for the temple. And it was amazing with all this because David knew that he was going to move on and David knew that he was going to need lumber also for the temple. And he had actually asked Tiger for, I mean, uh, Hiram for lumber for the temple. In First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 4, it tells us that he had already provided cedar wood for the temple. So David was already making preparations even before he passed away. He was already gathering gold and silver and bronze and stones and iron and, of course, the cedar wood for the temple. And this is a major undertaking. I want you to know if you've ever seen, and you know what I should have done is I should have given you an image of the temple that Solomon built. It was a massive thing. It was an amazing thing. It was a magnificent thing. And this, is, this was a desire of David, of King David. I want you to have a magnificent house where you can dwell in. And so it was a, an amazing undertaking. And so David already knew, and David was making the preparations. And not only did David just provide gold that, that they would you know, receive from the enemy that they would conquer, but some of David's own resources were put into the temple. And so, as we go back to the events here, as we read there that the king of Tyre, Hiram, sent his servants to Solomon. So he sent the servants to Solomon to meet the new king, the son of his friend, and and then let's read what happens after that. In verse 2, it says, And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side, until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. Now therefore command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon, and my servants will be your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For you know there is none among us who has the skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. So in response, as the servants are sent to Solomon, so they meet Solomon, the servants of Hiram. And so what Solomon does is he gives them a letter, a letter to take back to their king. And as we read this letter, we have the insight that David, I mean, that Solomon reminds Hiram that, you know what, you know that my father could not build the house because of the wars in which he fought. And, and so the Lord didn't allow him to do that. But then he begins to speak, and everything that he writes here is truth. And then he begins to praise the Lord. He begins to say, now the Lord has given me rest. In other words, I, don't, I didn't have this rest, but the Lord gave it to me. 
And all I'm doing is following the commands of God, as he says there. I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord, as the Lord spoke to my father, saying that your son, whom I set on your throne in your, pal- in your place, he shall build a house for my name. Now therefore command that they cut down cedars for, for me. And so all he's doing is he's just giving glory and honor to the Lord. He's just praising the Lord. He's just saying, you know what? This is all the Lord's doing. It's not my doing. And you see here that Solomon says, you know what? This is a perfect opportunity as he's provided wood for us before. I'm going to send this letter asking them to provide more wood and I'll pay the servants. And so... When the servants go back to Hiram, look at what it says in verse 7. And this is a verse that struck me. So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over this great people. See, just reading this letter already revealed the heart of Solomon. And the servants, as they went to go and meet Solomon, the servants would have revealed to their king, Hiram, that, you know what? Solomon is a real deal. You gotta, this guy is amazing. I mean, the wisdom that he has and how he treated us and, and his respect and, and his love for the Lord and all of this stuff came back to Hiram. And so he himself says, that he rejoiced, and he says, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over his great people. I want to talk now about us. As I shared with you, I want to, as we see here, the reputation, uh, the assessment that they had of Solomon. What do people say about us? Think about that. What do people say about you? When they first meet you, right? First impressions are great. What do they say when they first meet you? Or if somebody sees you down the street or somebody sees you at the supermarket or somebody sees you in the neighborhood, what do they say about you? Let me take this one step further. What are they going to say about you when you die? Think about that. Do we ever really think about our reputation? Do we ever think about what people really think about us, what we are showing others about us. Look at what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. It says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. So what he's saying there, and Solomon wrote this, he says, If you have a good reputation, if you were a good man or woman, you will be remembered by what you did on earth. It's not how you were born, it's your death. What did you do? And he says there, a good name. What are are people going to say about you when you pass on? See, no one lives forever on this side of heaven, and because we don't live forever, we're going to die, and what will people say about you? Are they going to remember all the things that were negative about you, or are they going to remember all the good things about you? What about your kids, your friends? What about your co-workers? What about the people at church? What do they say about you? See, this is what the Lord wants to stir up in us. He wants to stir up in us to really think about what kind of reputation are we leaving 
for others? What do they say about us? Do they say that we're men and women of integrity? Do they say we're cheats? Do they say we're liars? Do they say we're great people? We're God-loving people? Do they say we're people of truth? What do they say about us? I'm going to speak on three points today. I'm going to give you these three, and then we'll finish up the chapter in the end. I'm going to speak on a godly reputation, on a worldly reputation, and then I'm going to speak on, on the hypocrite. Okay, and these are very key when it comes to ourselves as the Lord wants us to think about these things and begin to see where do I fit in these. Let's talk about our godly reputation. Your reputation, what do people think about, what do people say about you or what should they say about you? Let, let me rephrase that. What should they say about you? Look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. It says, you are an epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an, an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Think about that. Are you a walking letter of Christ? Is Christ written on the pages of your life? Think about that. See, what brought you to the Lord? Was it somebody that was preaching the gospel or did a godly man or woman first minister to you? Where you say, you know what? There's something different about them. They're not like the rest of the world. They're different. They're not like the friends that I had. There's something different about them. See, we are called to be walking epistles. By our lifestyle, we are to draw people to God. When people see you, do they see Christ? Think about that. Paul instructed Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. He says, be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, Impurity. Let's think about these, right? When Paul told Timothy, be an example to the believers in these areas. When he talked, uh, talked about being an example in word, in word means in what you say. Think about that. What are you saying? Is there garbage coming out of your mouth? Is there profanity coming out? Is there vulgar talk out of your mouth? What about this one? Do you do what you say? When you tell somebody, you know what, I'm going to do this, do you do it? Think about that. I've shared that in times past with all of you. I mean, when I tell somebody I'm going to do something, I do my best to get it done. Remember what the Lord said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you're not doing what you're saying you're going to do, then it's best not to say you're going to do it. Why do you want to impress somebody? We'll talk about that in a bit. The next thing that he says are in conduct. How you live. Be an example in how you live. 
Are you living the way the Word of God says you should live? This is how we are to be examples, right? This is what he's saying. I mean, again, our reputation. What do people say? How do they see you? How are you living? Are you following the Word of God? Are are you an example? Are you practicing what the Word of God says? Are you practicing sin? He also says that we're to be an example in love. We've talked about this so many times. How do we love others? Think about that. You know, we are called to love others the way we love ourselves. And as I mentioned to you previously, that's a supernatural work of God that you have to yield to the Spirit of God to allow yourself to love the way God loves them. It's very possible if the Spirit of God is dwelling within you. Are you loving others? Are you an example in how you love others? Are you an example in how you're talking to others, how you treat others? Then he says, in spirit. This one can be a bit confusing, but what he's talking about here is your inner soul. What's going on on the inside? What's in your mind? Are you an example there? What's, you know, what are you taking in? You know, in the age of technology today, what are you taking in? When it comes to your laptops, when it comes to your phones, when it comes to your computers, when it comes to the movies, what are you taking in? What's going on? You know, as he goes on today, be an example in faith. Let's talk about your faith in God. You know what? Are you an example? Are you walking by faith? Are you living out God's principles by faith? Are you walking in truth by faith? Is your faith producing works? Think about that. Are you an example because your faith is producing good works? If it's not, it should be. Otherwise, you're not an example. An example, as he finishes by saying, in purity, in holiness, in cleanliness, the cleanliness of the heart. Are you living holy as God is holy? Are you blameless? Are you an example? Think about this, right? What do your coworkers say about you? Maybe what do your subordinates say about you as a boss, as a manager? What about your family? What does your family say about you? What do your neighbors say about you? See, God just wants us, he wants to stir you up. He wants to have you examine your own life. And if you're not walking or being an example, then he wants you to change it. And he's so gracious. God is so good because he gives us things like this to begin to have us think about our own walk. He wants you to examine your own life. See, God wants people to say that you're different. 
You're not like everyone else. See, we live in a very heartless world today, don't we? It's the me world. It's this world of self. And so he wants us to shine as lights. He wants us to season the world as salt. Are we doing that? See, are you going to be remembered by this when you move on, when you die? Are people saying this about you today? See, when it comes to a good reputation, even God rewards that. I want you to know that. See, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, when they were looking for deacons in the church, when they were looking to raise up men, it says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. As they said, they were looking for men there, but... We also know that the same thing with women. Women can be deacons. And as we think about this, you know, is God raising you up for more? Can he give you more because of, of your lifestyle? Do you ever see yourself as being contagious to others? Do people want to hang out with you? Are people drawn to you? We know that there's a world that hates Christians, and I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about the haters. I'm talking about the others. Do they want to hang out with you? Let's talk about now those with a worldly reputation, okay? If you call yourself a Christian, does the world know you're a Christian? Or do they think you're one of them? Think about that. The worldly person will behave like the world, right? And if the world doesn't know that you're a Christian, then you haven't made an impact. Think about that. You have not made an impact on them if they don't even know you're a Christian, if they don't know you're different, if they're not asking you, what's different about you? See, when Paul was talking to the Corinthian church, there was a lot of flesh going on in there. And he wanted to reveal this to them. He wanted to share this with them. And he reminds them of this, right? Because if we're behaving like the world, we're only deceiving ourselves because we think to ourselves, you know what? Wait up. I call myself a Christian. I, you know what? I said that prayer. But yet you still behave like the world. And so he wrote this to them. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And, some, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Paul says, such were some of you. Are we still doing these things? Think about that. I mean, this is the life that we all come out of, right? I mean, none of us, none of us is, can say that we didn't do these things. 
See, don't be deceived if you're practicing these things. We're talking about practice. We're talking about living these things. As Paul says, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at what 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Look at what James says in James 4, verse 4. It says, Adulterers and adulteresses, speaking of both men and women, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I love what Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose him. See, as Christians, this isn't what we're called to. We're not called to imitate the world. None of us are called to imitate the world. We should not even have a worldly reputation. I also want to share this with you. There are certain things that can really ruin your reputation. Some of you that, that are Christians and you decide to practice some sort of sin, I'm talking about here something like maybe sexual morality, maybe adultery. Maybe the flesh has taken over and you decide to have sex outside of marriage. Maybe someone that's married and you decide to have an affair with them. You can easily ruin a lifelong reputation with one mess up. And usually you're not the only one that's affected there because there's kids involved, there's others involved, and usually everyone else gets hurt, including yourself. The other thing that I want to make point here is one of the things that we forget, and maybe we're sometimes ignorant to these things. I don't know about you, but I know there's a lot of Christians that are watching movies and hearing music that only messes you up. Think about that. Think about when, when you go to the movies and you walk into a movie that you know you shouldn't be going to and a fellow Christian sees you. And you're like, oh, no, oh, I see somebody coming. I, let me hide over here, right? I know it happens. But see, I want to remind you of the music and the movies that are out there today. And I'm talking about TV, too. Just because it's on TV doesn't mean that, you know what, that your eyes should be looking at it. Remember, garbage in is what? Garbage out. It's that simple. See, well, if you start listening to this music and you start watching these, mo these movies, then guess what you begin to do? You begin to think about those things. And then you see your life doing those things. It's easy. Remember, the mind is an incredible thing. It's like a computer. Nothing goes away. It comes back. See, we should be very careful on the things that we're listening to, the things that you're saying. Because a lot of times we say to ourselves, oh, well, you know what? It's, it's on TV. It's okay. 
man, there's a lot of things on TV that are not okay. But this is just a reminder that the Spirit of God wants to give you. I mean, I'm not in your homes inspecting and seeing what you're watching, but remember this, God is. And that's what we forget. And anything that dirties a cup, remember that, all those things, God isn't going to fill you because the rooms are all dirty by these things. The last one I want to talk about is a hypocrite, okay? This is the actor. This is the person who says they are Christians, but yet they don't behave like Christians. These are the ones that are out there saying, you know what, I'm a Christian. These are the ones who try and impress people with their spirituality, but they don't live these things out. They are the ones that pretend to care for others. You know what? I really care for you. But deep down inside, they're like, you know what? I can't wait to leave this person alone. I got to go do my thing. These are the ones that say one thing but have no action to back it up. These are the ones that lie to others in order to cover up their sins. These are the ones that are excited or pretend to be excited about the things of God, but they truly aren't. These are the ones that tell you, you know what, I can't wait to see you at church. I'm going to be there at church. But you know what? I'd rather do other things, and they don't come to church. These are the ones that are saying, you know what, yeah, I'm reading and praying at home. But there's none of that going on. See, these are the ones that say they love God. But they don't. These are the ones that say, you know what? I do what God's word says. But I don't. Titus 1.16 says, They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Titus 1.16. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 says this, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Imagine that. This is that hypocrite. This is the one that's all excited about the things of God as, or they pretend to be excited about the things of God, but they're not. Is this how people are going to remember you? You know, when... We look at these things, what reputation best fits us. I want to share this with you because many times we can easily fool people. But I just want to remember, remind everyone of this, that you can never fool God. And he's the one that matters. He's the one that you're going to be standing before once you leave this earth. There are many times, though, that See, God loves to reveal the heart of people, and even though they try to hide it so much, they can. Numbers 32, 23 says this. Be sure of this. Your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. You know, as I share these things, I just want to, 
because we're running out of time, I just want to remind you of one thing is that as I talk about the worldly reputation, as I talk about the hypocrite, I don't want anyone here to feel condemned because that's not what it's about. It's about conviction. It's about drawing near to the cross. See, because what I love about the Lord is that the Lord will accept you when you confess. That's what's so amazing about the God that we serve. See, this is called the grace of God. You can easily change your ways today. And this is what God desires in all of us. You know, as we begin to just meditate on the things that were spoken, if we're doing any of these things, it's easy, it's the easy thing, the easy solution is just say, Lord, I'm sorry. And you repent. You don't walk in these ways anymore because you allow the Spirit of God as you acknowledge these things to begin to work and to allow his power to be revealed. See, this is what I love about God is that he doesn't say, you know what, because you've been like this before, I'm not gonna accept you no more. He's there with open arms saying, come home. Come home. I love you. I want the best for you. As we finish up here in verse eight, and we'll go quickly through this. It says in verse eight, then Hiram sent Solomon saying, I have considered the message which you sent me and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and cypress logs. My servants shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea. I will float them in rafts by the sea to the place you indicate to me and will have them broken apart there. Then you can take them away and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. Then Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of pressed oil that Solomon gave Hiram year by year. So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon. And the two of them made a treaty together. As we see there, Hiram was so impressed by Solomon says, absolutely, I will give you the wood. I will give you the cedar. I will give you the cypress. I will give you the wood that you need to build the house of God. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll put it on rafts by the sea. We'll s sail them to you and you can pick them up there. And the only thing I ask of you is that you would give food to me, bring food to my household. And so he gave them wheat and oil and they had a treaty continuing the treaty that his father had. And as we keep reading in verse 13, it says this, Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. Imagine that, 30,000 men to build from Israel. That's just from Israel. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month on, in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. As you can see there, 30,000 men from Israel sent to Lebanon, 10,000 a month, shifts, one month in Lebanon, two months at home. And look at the others. Look at how, it, how, how amazing, how many men were involved for this temple. In verse 15, Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens. In other words, they were carrying the equipment. And 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains. In other words, they were cutting the stones. 
They were extracting the stones. 80,000 men extracting stones and 70,000 carrying different type of materials. Besides 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon, deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. Imagine that. So many men. They, he had 3,300 supervisors. For those of you that are in construction, there's just one or two of you, right, that does a construction site. But imagine this, 3,300 supervisors. This is a massive project. We just counted what, 150? 180,000 men to begin the work. And in closing, let's read this. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and honed stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and Gibeonites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. You know what I love about the the final verse there is you have both Jews and Gentiles building the temple of God. Isn't that awesome? Who are the chosen people of God? The Jews and the Gentiles that place their faith in Jesus Christ. The grace of God. Would God ever use a Gentile to build the temple? Absolutely. You see it here. And that's what we are. This is the grace of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.